following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Jesus, I come today with a heart hungry, hungry for you, Jesus. I come earnestly desiring to be able to speak the unvarnished truth on this broadcast and call others who are, who are like me hungry for you to come and let us talk together and search out together this incredible relationship that you have offered to us. Lord, would you please unveil our minds and our hearts so that we can understand and then act on that understanding. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to make progress with you today on knowing and having more of Jesus in your life. My heart is hungry for Jesus. I've been waiting before him. I've been crying out in the prayer closet for him. His comforting Holy Spirit comes to me. He speaks. Wait upon the Lord. The Lord will carry you through. Rest in me, Ray. Those are his words to me. I've known something was wrong with the relationship that I've had with Jesus. And I think if you'll be honest with me, most of you will have to say, there's something wrong in your relationship with Jesus. Now, part of how I know that are the people who call me and talk with me or the people who write to me. And they're in a very difficult place. I find particularly older men and older women, by that I mean 55 and older, I find them often very lonely in their hearts for Jesus. But they've listened to the broadcasts. They've listened to the radio all the time at their work. They've listened to preachers. They've read books. They've watched television, ministry shows. They've watched It's Supernatural. They've watched this and they've watched that. But none of it comes to them. And they're hungry. And so they say things like, you know, I don't know if I should resign and, and retire. I don't know what I should do. And frankly, I think there are a lot of you out there just kind of kicking around, wondering, what am I supposed to do next? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So you dip into the entertainment. You dip into the food. You dip into the fornication. You dip into the cigar night with the guys where you can gamble nickels but you know in your heart something is wrong between you and Jesus this relationship with Jesus it's not always easy to understand I want an honest true empowered by the Holy Spirit walk with my Lord Jesus but let's look carefully at some scriptures today I want to take you back to the book of Genesis Adam and Eve are in this incredibly beautiful sumptuous I would say garden their assignment is to subdue the rest of the earth and tame it like the Garden of Eden. The earth is theirs to populate with their children, to honor the Lord God of heaven. And the Lord comes to them in the midst of the garden, in the cool of the evening. Genesis, the third chapter, they have just eaten from 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They have turned their back on the tree of life. And as normal, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I want to suggest to you that the loneliness we find in our hearts for God, for Jesus, has come about because we have been eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've been walking in some known sin. We've been walking in known rebellion. And there is an underbelly of almost indifference in our hearts. Now, I'm not walking that way, so that indifference is no longer in my spirit. But I'm still wanting more of Jesus. I'm hungry for more of Jesus. But I have the wonderful gift of being able to wake up in the morning and have a clear conscience, have a a joyful praising of Jesus. He came to walk with them, to talk with them, to fellowship with them. But they were hidden away. They were hiding in the bushes. And so he calls to the man, Where are you? Or come here, Adam. He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So fear and shame have now entered into their hearts. God comes in the cool of the evening to walk with them, and they hide from him. And he he says, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then comes the sad story of Adam and Eve. And then they are driven out of the garden. They're no longer allowed to live there. They lost their home. They lost their provision. They lost everything. And they go out into the world. And he begins to work the ground by the sweat of his brow, trying to plant things and and grow things so that they can eat. She gets pregnant. And in the pain of childbirth, she gives birth to Cain. So now we have a picture of Cain and Abel. We have a picture of Adam and Eve. The family begins to grow and prosper. They're going to live for. 800 plus years but in the midst of that God is gone now I want you to get a picture with me please at the very beginning of time before sin entered God would come that is Jesus because we know from the New Testament that it was Jesus who created the earth and created Adam and Eve Colossians, the first chapter. Hebrews, the first chapter. The Gospel of John, the first chapter. 
So now we have Jesus walking with them, communing, fellowshipping. And then he leaves and goes back to his home. And Adam and Eve are alone in the garden. They know God will come again tomorrow. He comes every day and walks with them. This is before they fell. This is before they turned their back on the Father and on the Son and on the Holy Spirit. They turned their back. But before they turned their back, he would come and then he would go back to his home. And then as we continue to look at other stories, uh, you, you find in Genesis... Look with me. Genesis, the sixth chapter. I'll begin with verse one. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them. Okay, so here we have the description of what begins to happen in the earth that utterly brought corruption with the sin to Adam and Eve and to their descendants. The Lord's heart is filled with pain that he has created them. He no longer comes and fellowships with them in the cool of the evening. They've been cast out of the garden. But now there's a man by the name of Noah. This is Genesis 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. So God is now coming to a righteous man by the name of Noah and he's walking with with Noah and he's talking with him. Noah is a righteous man. But the earth was utterly corrupt. He did not go and walk with the corrupt on the earth. He walked with the righteous. He tells him to build an ark. And Noah does exactly what God has told him to do. Then we find in the 12th chapter of Genesis, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. So after the flood and everyone dies, God is looking for a righteous man that he can begin to build a people called Israel overcomers and so he comes to Abram and he calls him and he gives him direction and Abram obeys but please I want you to catch this before the fall God came and he talked with Adam and Eve after the fall He didn't come so often, but he would still come and talk with a righteous man. He would walk with him. We know in the case of Enoch that Enoch walked close with God and God finally said, come home with me, Enoch. In other words, God didn't want to be separated from Enoch. He wanted Enoch with him. So after 300-some years living on the earth, he goes home with God, and we don't see him again or hear from him in Scripture again. 
But please, I want you to begin to get a picture of what's happening, that God would closely fellowship, but always go home to his home in heaven. He came and talked with Abram. He even came and sat down, and he ate with Abram and changed his name to Abraham. He told him about Sodom and Gomorrah. But then what did he do? He went back home. He didn't stay. Now, please, are you beginning to catch this? When I was courting my late wife, She lived in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. She was an executive with Broward County School System. And I would fly to Florida. I would spend the day with her. And then I would board an airplane and fly back home. I would leave. We would talk on the telephone every night. But we were not living together. We were not married. And so I would go and visit, and then I'd leave. And my heart was so hungry to have her for my wife. My heart was hungry for her to be with me. And I could stay, and she could stay, and we could be in fellowship with each other. The day came when we were we were wed and for the next 20 years God richly blessed us with an incredible love and ministry in his name but please hear what I'm saying God comes he fellowships with them and then he leaves Exodus the third chapter Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there within a bush, Moses saw the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So we have now Moses, who has some vision of what he was supposed to do, but he's been in the wilderness taking care of somebody else's sheep, having nothing of his own for 40 years. And now God suddenly comes again. God doesn't come and walk with him every night. It's 40 years since God has spoken with this man. So now... God comes and he's afraid to even look at him. See, I don't want to have a relationship with Jesus where I'm afraid to look at him. I want to know Jesus in all of his fullness. 
I've sometimes prayed, Lord, would you bring me as close to you as is humanly possible? How close can we get to God? How much intimacy can we share with the living God of heaven? I ask that question because God has come and given me very real rhema words of promise. And then those promises have been fulfilled. Is that what happens with you? Does God come and speak to you and give you promises or quicken scriptures to you? And then he leaves in your alone again Exodus the third chapter verse 10 go I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt well who am I who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt and God said I will be with you I will be with you. So, God comes, he speaks, and then he seems to be gone, but he says, I'm with you. I'm watching. I know what's happening. I'm present with you. If you were honest with me today, many of you would say, yes, I know God is with me. I have the evidence that God's peace is with me. Was God spoken with you recently? Well, pastor, most of the church doesn't even believe that God will speak today. They say he spoke in the scriptures and he doesn't speak again. He spoke through Jesus and he doesn't speak again. Of course, the gospels say that Jesus said in the Gospels that my sheep know my voice and you will hear me. Now, I agree that Scripture is the authority and everything has to be tested by what the Scripture says. But many of you would say, Pastor, God won't talk to you today. I know that's not true because he's spoken to me many times audibly in my spirit or in the word of God or by another dear brother or sister who's walking in a righteous way before God with a prophetic word and those words have proven true but again and I want you to see there is a formula that operates in the old covenant and that is obey my word and I will bless you disobey my word sin against me and I will bring curses on you it's very simple in the book of Matthew in the beatitude or in the uh, sermon on the mount Jesus said seek ye first the kingdom of God and and my righteousness God's righteousness seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
and he will add all of these things to you. That's the old covenant formula. It's hear my word, come under my authority. The, the word kingdom there is not a geographic kingdom. It's, it's the kingdom authority. Come under the authority of God, walk righteous before him, and he will bless you. He will give you what you need. That's the promise of Scripture from the Old Testament all the way through the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. So God is with us. God with us. But with us does not mean that he will not leave us. So let's look at a couple of other examples. First Samuel. First Samuel, the tenth chapter. Samuel comes and he anoints Saul on the head. He kisses him. And he says, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? And then he gives him this amazing description of what's going to happen. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. At Zilah, on the border of Benjamin, they will say to you, The donkeys you were set out to look for have been found, and now your father stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men are going up to God at Bethel. You will meet them there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. And after you will go to Gilgal of God, where there is a Philistine outpost, as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place, with lyres and tambourines, flutes and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. And once these singers are once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So, in verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. So, King Saul is chosen as the perfect example of a man in Israel to become king. He's head and shoulders taller than everybody else, he knows how to use the sword, he's a fighter. He's courageous. He's changed into a new man. But all of this is happening from the outside of Saul. It's happening from outside to touch his life. And the Holy Spirit falls on him. He falls down and lays on the ground and prophesies. He's changed into a new man. 
but God does not reside inside of this man Saul. He's on the outside of Saul. This is Old Covenant. This is Old Testament. If you look at chapter 11, let me read this for you. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. What I'm wanting you to see is that, again, the Holy Spirit is outside of Saul, but he comes upon him. He comes upon Saul. Now, if you've just joined the broadcast, we're trying to talk about how do we how do we resolve this hunger in our hearts for Jesus? The Old Testament way was you resolve your hunger for God by hearing the commands of God repenting for where you have broken those commands and then allowing the Holy Spirit to be with you and guide you into all righteousness. And God will bless you. He'll bless the fields. You remember Isaac, he planted his crop and he had a hundredfold return. God blessed him. The Old Testament says God is the one who gives us the ability to gain wealth. So many blessings all through the Old Covenant attended God's people. If you remember the story of Elijah, the power of God came on Elijah in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Let me read it for you. 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Galilee said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then he sent away and the ravens fed him. The Lord did not abide with him. He did not abide in the Lord while the ravens were feeding him. God was with him, but not in him. This is the entire cycle of the Old Covenant. I think of one instance in particular where Elisha was approached by the king two kings for information about a battle that was to take place and Elisha instructed that a musician should be brought and that as they listened to the sacred music, 
the Spirit of God came on Elisha and gave him the answer he was seeking. So again, in the Old Covenant, we have hear the word of the Lord, obey the word of the Lord, be blessed by God. But in the heart, there's still a great hunger for the presence of God. And we won't go into it today, but King David felt this very acutely. In Psalms, he's often speaking about, Lord, why do you hide your face from me? Why are you so distant from me? Why is my soul so upset, O God? David constantly was asking to be close to the Lord. And the Lord would come. He even said, King David is a man after my own heart. But there was something missing. Do you sense something missing in your life with Jesus? Is there something that's still not right? Are you endeavoring in every possible way to obey the commands of God or have you gotten sloppy and lazy and drifted away and your heart is now cold or lukewarm? I said to one person, are you on fire for Jesus? And they answered, no. What happened? Well, I don't know if I've ever been on fire for Jesus. I go to church. I pay my tithe. Is there anything else? Do you have the peace? Oh, I have the peace of God. I know God is with me. Are you content with that? I'm not. I can't live that way. I will not live that way. I have to have more. I'm starving for Jesus. I'm going to die if I can't have more of Jesus. I don't want to be here anymore if I can't have more. So I've obeyed what Jesus has told me to do. I could be very specific, but I won't be because I don't want you to think that that's what you have to do. The Holy Spirit told me what I was to do, and I obeyed him. I cut off certain friendships. I cut off certain entertainments in my life. In fact, all entertainment, except that of nature. And I love to watch the bluebirds. We have four little bluebird baby chicks out here in our backyard in the birdhouse. They put a smile on my face, watching them dash in and feed those little ones. But you hear what I'm saying to you today. I'm not interested in Pilgrim's Progress and coming and just talking about principles, talking about strategies. No, I want the company of my Lord. I really want more than that. So let's go to the New Testament. And I'm going very slowly today because I don't want I don't want to rush through this. 
but I want to read you a scripture in John the 14th chapter John 14 verse 15 if you love me you will obey what I command this is Jesus that's a familiar refrain it's through all of the Old Testament and it flows into Jesus teachings on the Sermon on the Mount If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Wow, did you catch that? There is a galactic shift going on between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Covenant, God was with his people, but he was not in his people. In the New Covenant, the promise is that God will come and be in us, not just with us. He says, but you, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father You are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answers, If anybody loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. Okay, so it's the same formula from the old covenant. If you will obey, I will come and be with you. But there is a hint now of a dramatic shift. And that is, instead of just being with you, I will be in you. If you obey my teachings, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Obey. With blessings obey with blessings that's the old covenant formula verse 26 but the counselor the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything i've said to you peace i leave with you 
My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Then he comes and begins to teach the very heart of what he wants to tell us. And this is just shortly before he goes to the cross. He's giving his final instruction to his disciples. And he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The problem we're facing, the problem I'm facing, is that God has been with us. He has blessed us richly. But he's not been in us. He's not been in us. He's been with us. We need to understand the difference between being with someone and being in someone. Being in someone and them in you. That's a total, total union between these two. They become one flesh. They become one with one another. If anyone does not remain in me, He's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Some of you have been cut off and you have just withered because you did not allow Jesus to move from being with you to being in you. Now I'm talking about something so radical and I'm having a hard time finding the words to describe this. Most people in the church today would, if you ask them, is Jesus in your heart? They would answer, of course Jesus is in my heart. Well, that's not in Scripture. That's not what it teaches. There is with you, and there is in you, and the only way God can come in into you is by the power and the presence of the baptism of the of the holy spirit pentecost and so the church today in america functions without power without passion without prayer one dear pastor i said to him could i attend your prayer meeting He looked at me rather ashamed and he said, Ray, we don't have prayer meeting at my church. I said, what? No prayer meeting? No, we don't have a prayer meeting. Why? Well, no one wants to attend. And frankly, as I grew up, a prayer meeting was a brief Bible study and a brief time of prayer. 
sometimes testimonies, but they were always the same testimonies. They were well-worn and well-tattered. No prayer meeting. People won't attend. I remember the first real prayer meeting I attended. I was in Weimar, Switzerland. Francis Schaeffer's Le Brie. Some of you might be familiar with that. He called for a prayer meeting. Os Guinness was to lead it. Os Guinness stood up. We were all jammed in this chalet sitting on the floor. He stood up and I expected him to expound on a passage of scripture or to read from one of his wonderful books a chapter to us. But Oz did none of those things. Oz Guinness simply stood up and quietly said, let us pray. And for the next two plus hours, we sat on the floor and we just prayed. Sometimes quietly, sometimes with a lot of loudness, crying out to the Lord. But it was all prayer. That was a prayer meeting, not a Bible study. See, the problem we're facing in the church is we have we have no power, we have no passion, we have no prayer, but we have lots of entertainment, we have lots of skits, we have lots of entertainment to keep us coming back and paying our 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 dollars to get into the next concert. But that's not church. There has to be more. There has to be this incredible change that takes place between us and Jesus. Now, I have loved all of my life having Jesus with me. He has ordered my steps. He's He's directed me. First John, the first chapter, the third verse, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we, we enjoy fellowship with God through the word, through the preaching, It's not enough. I have to have more. In the second chapter, the second chapter of the gospel, the uh, the book of 1 John, let me read for you, beginning with verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Well, that's the same formula, isn't it? Obey blessings disobey curses we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands 
The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Some of you today, let's face it, you're liars. You say, I love Jesus, but then you you get drunk. You say, I love Jesus, but you don't show up at church. I love Jesus, but you don't give anything for the work of the kingdom of God. You say, I love Jesus, but your heart is cold and rocky, and you know you're walking in rebellious ways with God. You're either in an unclean relationship where you're fornicating or you're watching porno or you're... He's saying, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but not, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is verse 5. This is First John 2, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. So we need to study very carefully how Jesus walked and do a very careful evaluation, examination of our lives and say, am I walking like Jesus walked? And is he in me? Is Jesus in me? Or is he just with you? See, I'm hungry for Jesus to be in me, in all of his fullness. As long as Jesus is outside of me, he will be with me if I walk in obedience to his commands. But I want that extra step. And I can't just casually say, oh, Jesus is in me. I've got it. What? With no power, no passion, no prayer? formal religion and and you think Jesus is in you that's not how Jesus walked there's so many passages of scripture to turn and look at I want to look with you at one more 1st John the second chapter I'll begin with verse 24 see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you it does if it does you will also remain in the son and in the father and this is what he promises us eternal life so now he's going another step he's saying be in jesus and in the father at the same time that they come and dwell in you not just with you but in you there's an inner life in the spirit that we've got to study and all this week we're going to study that inner life in the spirit where does it come from how does it come what does the scripture say about it now if you're content to just sense that God is with you okay I'm not I need a lot more than that. 
I need God to be in me. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I'm very grateful that you have been willing to listen. This is a very difficult struggle for me that I am fully engaged in. Searching after Jesus, spending hours in his presence with him, seeking to know the fullness of Jesus. There's a difference between the old covenant knowing of Jesus and having him with me and the new covenant of having Jesus in me. That's what we need. Well, you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And our dear Leslie, thank you. We just received your gift, along with several other gifts. Thank you. This is a faith ministry. So you can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. My brother, my sister, are you hungry for more of Jesus? Are you hungry for more of Jesus? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy To the only God our Savior Through Jesus Christ our Jesus Christ alone.